Hey, welcome to Access. John here. If you haven't already, be sure to download the free FBC Rungi Church app on iTunes or Google Play for sermons, announcements, and important updates regarding the church. Have you ever wondered what was so special about the Bible? This is the first part in a two-part series where we're going to examine what the Bible is, who wrote it, and why we can trust that it is the inspired Word of God. This message is entitled, What is the Bible? Part 1. Do you believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God? And if so, do you know why you believe that? Surely you know that there are numerous religions in the world with some kind of holy scripture that make the same claim, don't you? Islam claims that the book of Quran is God's book. Mormons claim that the book of Mormon is God's book. Buddhists claim that the Pali Canon, or the Word of Buddha, is God's book. So why the Bible? Why should we believe that the Bible is God's inspired Word? Why why should we believe that it is His book? What makes it like any other book that makes the same claim? Well, I think many people will recognize that the Bible is an ancient book. Nobody wants to argue with that. But, however, one common argument is, is that the Bible was written by man. And so basically the logic goes like this. Because men make mistakes, it therefore can't be trusted as perfectly authoritative. It really can't be God's book. So this week and next week we're going to examine what the Bible is, who wrote it, and why you and I can trust that it is the authoritative word of God. So by the time we're done next week, I want you to have a complete confidence that the Holy Bible is God's book, that it is God-inspired, and that more importantly that you will be able to explain why you believe that it is God's inspired word. So why the Bible? Well, for starters, um, it is the best-selling book of all time. It has been estimated that anywhere from 3 to 6 billion copies have been sold and circulated throughout the world. So not only is it the best-selling book of all time, it is the book with the largest impact on history and society. Look throughout history and you see the influence that the the Bible, the Holy Bible, has had on the world, and it is unparalleled to any other book. Um, nothing able is able to stand alongside it. Uh, it you can't put uh, the Bible on the same shelf with any other book and it to be equally authoritative. Now, I know that's my opinion, but I'd like to explain why I believe that. The Bible contains all kinds of uh, genres of literature, It has history and sermons and songs and legal documents and family trees and poems and love letters. Um, It was written over a period of about 1,500 years by by at least 40 different authors on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. And what you see today in Scripture is not exactly how it was written. Does that mean it was altered? Well, sort of. In the 1200s, scholars added chapter markers. Before the 1200s, there were no chapter markers. It was just one long scroll, basically. It was actually a multitude of long scrolls, but they comprised it into a book. So um, in the 1200s, they added chapter markers. Why did they do that? Because they were having difficulty locating quickly where a certain passage was. In the 1500s, they added verse numbers, which made it a little bit more easier. Uh, However, while I would argue it's extremely beneficial to be able to find a passage in a hurry, separating these, these passages with chapters and verses can also interrupt a continuation of thought. 
So, for example, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but inherit eternal life. This passage explains the work of God in the world. True. But more accurately, it is a continuation of a conversation that Jesus was having with a man named Nicodemus about how a person enters the kingdom of heaven, how a person is born again. So it can interrupt or continuation of thought. Uh, uh, you know, the, the idea of taking a passage in its entire context instead of taking one verse out of context, that can happen. The Bible has 66 books, 39 of them are Old Testament, 27 are New Testament. So what's the Old Testament, Old Testament about? Well, the Old Testament is a story of creation. It's the story of the law, uh, history, poetry. It's got the major and minor prophets. Um, it, there's a lot contained in the Old Testament. As I said, it's bigger than the New Testament. But if you leave today only understanding one thing about the Old Testament, I want you to know that the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Well, if that's about Jesus Christ, what's the New Testament about? Well, the New Testament is about the arrival of Jesus Christ in the world, his ministry, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It's also about the establishment of his church through his disciples in the world. The New Testament actually has a purpose. It is to help you understand who Jesus is and how to be saved. So today what I want to do is I want to take God's Word in two parts. First, I want to examine what God's Word says about itself. Then I want to talk about what Jesus said about it. What does God say? God's Word say about itself? Well, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. What I want to point out about that is that it has a lot of functions, but Scripture says that it is God-breathed or it is God-inspired. Um, while I under, understand this is difficult for an unbeliever to accept, when a person understands what Scripture is and what it is, not only what it is, but what it is accomplished, I believe that anyone from any background can rest with full assurance that the claims about Scripture of being God-breathed is genuine. Um, Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. Do not add to his words, or he may rebuke you and expose you as a liar. So the Bible says that the Bible is true. Now that's a pretty bold claim, and I, I think you would agree with me. Imagine picking up a history book or a philosophy book or uh, any kind of book, and uh, some kind of textbook or maybe just a, a, a book that was written laissez-faire. And the first line is, and it is, everything written in this book is true. I think you would have to agree. That's, that's pretty bold. Um, take a history book, for example. There has to be some sort of deviance in a history book. Why? Because the people who win the wars write the history books. It's going to be written in their favor, which means that not everything in a history book is true. Be it little things or great big things, not everything is 100% true. It's written in their favor. It's an incredibly bold claim to say that everything that is written in the Bible is true because it contains a lot of history. Um, so how can it make this claim? Well, for starters, everything has to come true. Everything it says has to be true. 25% of all scripture is prophetic. For example, prophets said that Jesus was going to be born of a virgin 700 years before it happened, before it came true. There was a prophecy that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem 400 years before it happened. 
and it came true. A prophecy was given that Jesus would be crucified on the cross, that he would be raised from the dead three days later, 700 years before it happened, and it came true. There were over 60 prophecies that Jesus alone fulfilled, and there will be more fulfilled when he returns at the second coming. So how is it possible for these men to know the future? Well, it isn't. Nobody knows the future. The only way that these men could have known the future was if an all-knowing God who stood outside of time told them what he, was, what he was going to do, what was about to happen. And it is because everything that God says true is true that they came true. So when you submit to God's word as being true, Proverbs 3.5 says it will be a shield to protect you. Uh, in other words, people will make their accusations but will be unable to prove that Scripture is wrong. It also says that if we try to add what God, what God says, um, if we try to add to it, we will be exposed as liars. There is a reason why this book has been around for millennia. It's not just an old book. It's an eternal book. H.L. Hastings once wrote, The Word of God is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. So bring your philosophy books. Bring your history books. Bring, bring your archaeological evidence. Bring whatever you want to try to discredit Scripture. And it will wear out that hammer because it is that anvil that has worn out many hammers over a period of multiple millennia. So the Bible um, is pretty incredible in that it has stood the test of time. People try to prove that God's word isn't true, uh, but for nearly 2,000 years it has withstood countless attacks, always proving true every single time. For example, people said that we have no evidence that a flood ever wiped out the earth until archaeological evidence and discoveries uh, saw that a, a great big boat was found in a mountain. Um, and you know they, they say, well, how could that happen? Well, the, the Bible is true. Scholars determine that we have no historical evidence that the Davidic kingdoms, the kingdom of David, really existed until archaeology proved them wrong yet again. People said that we have no way of knowing how old the Bible truly is and that it must have been tampered with until archaeologists discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. So over and over and over again, God's word proves true. These are people that actually lived in Scripture in locations that actually existed. Psalms 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. So in other words... God's word is perfect. Now this is especially in interesting considering the people that point out what they believe to be contradictions in Scripture. So for example, when Peter denied Christ, did the rooster crow once or twice? You might say, well it wasn't either of those, it was three times. No, Peter denied Christ three times. How many times did the rooster crow? Because in one place it says once, another place it says twice. When Jesus served the Lord's Supper, was it the bread that was served first or the cup? Because in different places, it says different things. When Jesus preached his famous sermon, was it the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain? What I would say about these arguments is that I believe God has given us just enough rope with Scripture that we can hang ourselves with it. In other words, if you go looking for problems, you're bound to find them. What did it matter whether it was a mountain or the plain where Jesus preached his famous sermon? Wouldn't it matter more that Jesus preached his famous sermon? And have you considered that it, he might have preached the same sermon twice? Actually, in, in Mark and in Matthew, it's not the same sermon. It's pretty close, but it's not the same thing. 
What did it matter how many times the rooster crowed? Once or twice? Wasn't what mattered that Jesus was denied by Peter? I mean, isn't that what's important? What did it matter who interacted with the resurrected Christ? Or who who, who interacted with him first? Uh, Didn't it matter that everyone agreed that Jesus was resurrected from the dead? I mean, wasn't that most important? Have you ever experienced a time when Scripture has said exactly the right thing to you at exactly the right time? Because I believe that's what it's talking about when it says it is perfect. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is active and alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Scripture somehow knows how to penetrate our hearts and transform us into something different. Read any other book and you know what, you're going to find it, probably find it interesting. But only the Word of God has the power to transform you. Well, what about the Quran? Well, that's funny you might bring that up. Did you know that the Quran talks about Jesus Christ more than it talks about Muhammad? That in the Quran, Jesus Christ does more incredible things than Muhammad himself. Did you know that there's only one woman mentioned in the Quran? And it's Mary, the mother of Jesus. (laughs) The Word of God is unlike any other book. It is active and it is alive, which makes it pretty much stand alone. That's, that's what, what it comes down to. It has exactly the right words for us at exactly the right time when we read it and we study it. Acts 17.11 says, Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. What does this verse mean? It means that these people believed that scripture was authoritative. So the word of God is authoritative. There's a term that early scholars used to uh, you know, used to refer to scripture, and I think we should become familiar with it. It's sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. What it suggests is that scripture is the ultimate authority. Sola scriptura is not the same as solo scriptura, which means scripture only. What solo scriptura suggests is that there's no truth to be found outside of the Bible, so only read the Bible. I don't believe that this is true. I believe that there's a lot of truth to be discovered outside of Scripture. Truth in our relationships, truth in creation, truth in, in, in experience, um, just you know, just to name a few. However, with sola scriptura, you are able to take these truths that you've learned and test them with Scripture because God's Word is the ultimate authority. Um, if you found truth somewhere else and it doesn't line up with Scripture, then it's not true. God's word is like the Supreme Court. There may be rulings made in lesser courts, but if you're not satisfied with the rulings, you can always appeal to the Supreme Court. Well, what the Supreme Court decides, however, cannot be overruled. It's the ultimate authority. So this is what the Bible is. It's like the Supreme Court. You can find discoveries in archaeological digs and history books and philosophy books wherever you are, but if they contradict what Scripture says, they cannot be true. The Bible is the ultimate authority. If our world leaders are telling us something and it compromises the authority of Scripture, well then we are unable to compromise our faith. We're unable to go against Scripture because it is the ultimate authority. So we looked at some things that Scripture says about itself. What did Jesus say about Scripture? In John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. So essentially, Jesus says that God's word is true. 
Over 40 times in John's gospel alone, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth. 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 The truth was very important to Jesus. So after he would say this, he would explain scripture to them. You've heard that it was said. Well, let me tell you what it, this is the truth. So Jesus was constantly referring to the Old Testament. He's constantly saying, it's written. It, was, it is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. Written where? In the Old Testament. Jesus said several things people often question were true is actually true. For example, in Matthew 19, 4, Jesus says, Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? So wait, you're telling me that God made man and that they didn't crawl out of some kind of primordial soup and it took a process of a million years? Well, Jesus said that God created the world and man and woman. He didn't come from a monkey. In... Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus says, For as Jonah was in three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So wait a minute. You're telling me that a man got swallowed by a huge fish and then spit back out three days later? Do you expect me to believe that? Why would you expect me to believe that? Well, because Jesus said that a man really got swallowed up by a huge fish and spit out three days later. Jesus said that Moses wrote several books of the Old Testament. Listen, I had professors at Bible college that argued just the opposite. They said that there's no way that Moses could have written these books because there's all kinds of literary differences between them. So which do I believe? Jesus or my professors? Well, here's a pretty good rule of thumb. When the professor rises from the dead and has a few people worship him about 2,000 years later, flip a coin, but until then, go with Jesus. For some reason, people believe that because the Bible is old, that it can't be relevant, or it can't be true for that reason. C.S. Lewis once warned his readers about a concept called chronological snobbery. What chronological snobbery is, it basically is when we say, they used to be, you know, they believed this because they were stupid. However, we believe this now because we're smart. I had a professor in school say that what Jesus called demon possession, we call schizophrenia. So in other words, Jesus only called it demon possession because he didn't know what to call it. Creator God didn't know what to call it. Or at the very least, his disciples wouldn't have understood him. Maybe. But maybe Jesus wasn't as dumb and his disciples weren't as dumb as we tend to think that they are. Maybe Jesus knew more than my professor did. Just because somebody lived thousands of years ago does not mean that they are dumber or they were dumber than us. Go read something Paul wrote and tell me that you think you're smarter than he was. Go read Proverbs and tell me, yeah, I knew that already. I'd argue just the opposite. We are very proud of ourselves because of our technology. Man, we're smart. But if you took away everyone's cell phone for a week, the world would probably shut down. I mean, have you met people... Can you honestly tell me that you're impressed by their intelligence? We have a tendency to think that we're more intelligent than people in the past and that the people in the past are dumber than we are. Or they were dumber than we are. You know, we say things like, you know, they had to be dumb in the 80s. Have you not seen what they used to wear? Well, that's not an indicator because guess what? That was in style for them. And one day we will look back on today and we will say, oh my God, that is so 2010. (laughs) So... There's one more point I want to make before we close, which is really the only point that I feel that is worth making about Scripture. Jesus said that Scripture is all about Him. 
And when the devil tempts Jesus in the wilderness, what did Jesus do? He quoted scripture. When the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus over and over and over again, he escaped them every time. How did he do that? He quoted scripture. And you think about this. If the devil came to you to tempt you, or a group of people wanted to trap you, and your only chance of escaping was your ability to quote scripture, how do you think you'd do? <laughs> do you think you'd get away? You probably wouldn't fare very well, right? Well, then how did Jesus do it? Jesus was able to quote scripture because scripture was on his heart. Because it's a book written about him. What did Jesus say from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Scripture. Lord, into your hand I commit my spirit. Scripture. It is finished. Scripture. After the resurrection, Luke tells us on two separate occasions, Jesus gets a group of people together for an amazing Bible study. What did they study? Well, in Luke 24, verses 44 and 45, it says this. Jesus said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He showed them how everything that is written in the Old Testament is written about him. Hey, do you remember Adam, how he sinned by not withstanding temptation? Well, turns out I'm the second Adam that withstood the devil's temptation. Do you remember how Cain killed Abel? Well, I am the innocent brother that was slain by his murderous siblings out of envy of the Lord's favor. Do you remember Abraham, how he left his father's household to enter a foreign nation to establish his kingdom? Well, these things are written about me. Do you remember how Abraham was told to sacrifice his son Isaac, but was spared by a ram caught in the thicket? I am that sacrifice on his son's behalf, and my father did not spare me. Do you remember when the Israelites were enslaved by Moses and he was instructed to paint the lamb's blood over the mantle of his doorway and the Israelites were delivered? My blood is that covering over the mantle of your hearts and I am that deliverance. Do you remember the Passover meal? My body is the bread and my blood is the wine. We could go on and on and on and on. And if you can only understand one thing about the Bible, it should be, about, it should be this. It is a book about God and his deliverance through his son, Jesus Christ. Which means that if you read the Bible and you don't love Jesus, you don't understand scripture at all. The Pharisees, think about this, they were diligent studiers of God's word. But listen to what Jesus told them in John 5, 39-40. He says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you may possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Jesus said to them, If you don't recognize that these scriptures are written about me, then you don't understand scripture. These weren't people working through their undergraduate degrees. These were people who had finished their PhDs and they were now professors at major seminaries teaching other people. And Jesus said, You know what your problem is? You don't know what scripture is. You don't know the scripture. <laughs> if they didn't know the scripture, then who did? Well, he said before, you make, the, you make the, the simple wise. You make the learned look foolish and you make the simple wise. Jesus selected 12 fishermen, carpenters, tax collectors, just low individuals that did not know Scripture. And he revealed Scripture to them through himself. 
Jesus said to them, your problem is you don't know scripture. Think about how bold that was. But you know, we know what scripture is because we know Christ. We can trust it because it's true. We're going to dive back into the subject next week, but before we close, I want you to know that you can have complete confidence that God's word can be trusted. It can be trusted because Jesus can be trusted. And he can be trusted because he's been there since the beginning and he will endure through the end. John 1, 1 and 2 and and verse 14 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God's Word is true. Those who test it always see that it proves itself to be true. But those who who oppose it always are exposed as a liar. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that the Lord blessed you through this message and that he spoke to you and that you have a clear direction for your life. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. And if you have any questions or comments about today's message, please feel free to email us at fbcrungi at gmail.com. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.